0: At FintechBeat, we love hearing from our listeners. And one listener, a leading lawyer at a leading law firm, had asked if we could do an episode on NFTs or non-fungible tokens. Now, this species of crypto assets is all the rage currently in the world of collectibles, from digital art to NBA basketball cards. In extremely simplified terms, NFTs enable their issuers to take anything including a digital picture or video of something like LeBron dunking a basketball, and then pin it on a token that has a unique identification code that distinguishes it from all others. In doing so, the idea is that people can leverage blockchain technology to create a -a one-of-a-kind or limited series token akin to a baseball card. Now, this idea has become the next big thing in crypto with plenty of big money flooding into it. The artist Beeple used an NFT to sell a piece of digital artwork at a Christie's auction called Every Days, the First 5,000 Days, for a record $69 million. Meanwhile, Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey sold the first tweet ever with an NFT for $2.5 million in a charity auction. But all this activity is generating a range of really interesting and hard questions long familiar with crypto, like Why would anyone buy an NFT, and is there any inherent value in them? What do holders get when they buy NFTs? And are NFTs securities? Well, to get into all of these issues, I am delighted to have with me today two of the foremost experts operating in the space, Nick Carter and Amy Liu. Now, Nick is a veteran of the show, the partner of Castle Island Ventures, and hosts his own wildly popular podcast, on the brink. And Amy is the general counsel at Center, a consortium of industry players designed to help support the US dollar coin.
1: Is it worth it? Let me work it. i put my thing down, flip it, and reverse it. It's it's, wet and it's, it's wet and if you be-
0: Nick, Amy, thanks so much for joining the show. Thanks for having me, Chris.
1: Thank you, Chris. Big fan of the podcast, and it's a pleasure to be here. Okay, Nick,
0: let's start with you. Okay, you've seen it all, obviously, from your perch over at Castle Island Ventures, uh, particularly in the crypto space. Uh, Maybe you can help us a bit with definitions, since that's obviously always a challenge in crypto. What are NFTs, and and how do NFTs differ from, say, Bitcoin?
2: Sure, so... NFT stands for non-fungible token. And I will disclaim up front, um, as a firm, we are investors in startups that issue NFTs. And I personally own a bunch of NFTs. So full disclosure. Um, effectively, it's framed as in sort of a Hegelian manner, as sort of the counterpart to, you know, Bitcoin and other assets that are like Bitcoin, where the units are meant to be interchangeable with each other or fungible, right? And so non-fungible tokens are the opposite to that, where an individual unit or token or element in that set is not interchangeable with another one. I actually don't love that framing. I would say, if I had to define NFTs, I would say it's simply a serialized piece of information that exists in a public blockchain context. So it's a way to take a serial number which uniquely addresses some item, some data, some piece of content, and insert it onto a public blockchain rails, typically Ethereum, but there's a whole bunch of other platforms, so that it is innately financialized. It can be traded and transferred freely in sort of a peer-to-peer framework, and that can apply to any kind of content whatsoever. Um, so there's no single use for NFTs, but you know the really popular one is kind of art. That's one, and collectibles, and then in-game assets is another use.
0: So, so obviously, any time in which a question about uh, financial technology it, it involves a response relating to Hegelian dialectics. You just know that this is going to be a, a truly out of the world uh, out of this world conversation. Um, you know you know the, the, I guess parts of that definition that that I find um, interesting and I think that is inherently interesting in the space is that by being able to create a, a string of numbers, a unique string of numbers and and, and really um, uh, making sure that, Whatever is being financialized is unique. It really uh, brings something interesting to, you know, the to the digital economy, right? I, I guess the idea is that you can create something that that is scarce or, or or that is unique, and to have that represented in some kind of digital fashion. But you know, a lot of people are are not yet uh, are, are still sort of grappling uh, with the specifics. What does it mean to have a, uh, a tweet or a video of LeBron dunking or whatever, you know, sort of on a blockchain? Like, what is that supposed to do when it comes to this whole issue of financialization?
2: Well, the first thing I would say is that it's kind of a common misconception that inserting a serial number or a piece of data on a blockchain renders it scarce right? You you kind of need two things. So of course, if you have a set of assets and you um, associate them with tokens on a blockchain, then you can track their provenance for sure. So you can keep track of them as their ownership changes over time. So you put them in a in a nice wrapper that gives you strong property rights, right? So that's great. But you also need external assurances. You need an issuer that is credibly only going to create a certain number of these uh, references and insert them on chain, and isn't going to sort of arbitrarily inflate them. So, in the case of NBA Top Shots, for instance, where you have NBA, uh, you know they ha- they own a bunch of IP, and they're creating references to that IP, which can circulate. In this case, on the Flow blockchain, you know we c- we have assurances from them that they're not going to deviate from the sort of supply schedule that they've described. And they're not going to go ahead and hyperinflate the quantity of these collectibles effectively. Um, but So you do need that assurance for the NFT to sort of make sense, uh, which is just one thing I wanted to get out of the way there. Um, but yeah, it, it gives you some nice um, you know, proof of provenance, some, you know, the nice ability to sort of um, audit the, the flow of an asset over time. And of course, since blockchains are these you know, radically open networks, Anybody can sort of interoperate with the asset once it exists on the public blockchain, and so any number of sort of third-party exchanges um, or other kinds of experiences that might tap into that database, those can emerge. So, those really interesting properties once it's on chain.
0: So, so, Amy, maybe do you have anything to add to that? I mean, you know, um, about NFTs, how you would define them, uh, you know, to your to your neighbors, and 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 how do you view NFTs and how they would differ from you know what what most people think about when they think about cryptocurrencies like like Bitcoin.
1: Yeah, no, just um, tagging on to what Nick said, I think NFTs are really just data, right? Packets of information that can really embody everything and anything. I think in the future almost all data on Web3 will be in a form of NFTs. And you can think of that not only in terms of music and art and digital goods that we see today, but really your shopping preferences, your medical history, your DNA, to even social media generated content. Um, I think that it's always been core crypto need narrative to be able to take ownership of your data into your own hands to control that data and to be able to monetize it without the middlemen. And so in the future, we're not going to be talking about what is an NFT and what is not. It's just whenever you interact with data on the web and when you're transmitting it, um, you're going to be dealing with an NFT. It's going to take the form of an NFT.
0: Nick, Amy has offered some not-so-subtle and really revolutionary observations about the future of NFTs. But uh, let's stick for a moment with the use cases you initially point out. Um, We're hearing a lot about the art world. Why is the first application being found here as opposed to elsewhere? Um, is there anything about NFTs that lend themselves to this industry? And, and do they transform how we think about collectibles and, and, and how we think about art?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. I would say, you know, one thing the blockchains do really well is they render things innately transferable and not sure what the right word is here, but financializable, you know, they make things very amenable to being plugged into markets directly. And if you think about artwork and collectibles, those are assets which generally um, obtain value and people really like to trade them. But for artwork, for instance, it's very cumbersome uh, to exchange art because that requires physical settlement of artwork, which is fragile and so on. Uh, so it sort of made sense that the first broad-based application for a dematerialized collectible would be in the art space and uh, the sort of collectible game space. Uh, we see, you know, if you think about Magic the Gathering, that's um, a playable game, you know, with a long legacy, but the the cards themselves have a tremendous amount of value. But of course, you're exposed to the risk of losing the card or the card decaying in some sense or rotting or, you know, getting eaten by your hamster or whatever. So dematerializing this process makes complete sense to me in the same way that dematerializing money and creating digital forms of money, digitally native forms of money makes sense too. So it's just kind of a natural progression of that idea of taking these analog processes and dematerializing them. So it makes all the sense in the world. To me, it's the same experience, except now it's turbocharged because You can plug it into a marketplace, so people who are attracted to these collectible and art experiences because of the financial engagement possibility, that is accelerated dramatically because there's no frictions to trading these things. So it makes total sense to me that those were the first applications of NFTs.
1: I would add on, I agree 100% with what Nick said, I would add on three additional um, sort of unique characteristics that make nft so special especially today in this environment um one would be that accessibility right so just building upon that a little bit now it's these markets are open up to to the international arena so it's not just people that are within a local market that can visit that local art gallery now it's basically borderless right and then tacking onto that we're in we're in an extreme situation right now where we're in a global pandemic where everybody is sitting at home glued to the computers 24-7, right? Um, training in NFTs has almost become a new form of entertainment where there are no, uh, no longer sort of live basketball games. People now are trading top shots online and being able to sort of participate in the sports arena and still cheer on their fans and their, their favorite teams. Um, So I think that those two are two important considerations, and it'll be interesting to see where we go once things start to open up again and people get away from their screens a little bit. And I think the third part that is really exciting to me is the programmability aspect of NFTs, right? Now you're not only just taking two-dimensional or even basic three-dimensional art forms and media, but you're able to do all sorts of things with it. You're able to program and plug in, for example, Oracle's. To have art now um, transform based on the weather, based on the number of times it changes hands, based on the price of Bitcoin, right? And so you're going to be able to see all sorts of different forms of um, creation and engagement, different ways to create that artists are going to be able to really um, unleash new forms of creativity with this new medium, if you will.
0: You know, so many of us are obviously all glued to our screens during the pandemic, but this concept of digital art, I think, still takes a bit of getting used to. Uh, when people talk about art in its materialized form, uh, it has characteristics that people kind of like. I, I guess it's kind of like the comparison of ebooks to to real books. e uh, ebooks are great, and you can search terms quickly and like, but If you're like me, there's nothing quite like a real book with that texture, that feel, and even the smell that creates a very particular experience. And and beyond that, you can't hang digital art on your wall. And yet people are still trying to find out what the experience of art is and what it should be. But precisely because of that, there are some interesting legal questions. It's not just an issue of, of, of how you experience art, but how and whether other people can experience art as well. And there are some, some interesting IP issues um, as to whether or not that art is is excludable, if, if other people can use it or reproduce it in other forms or fashion. Um, c- could you maybe walk us through, you know, putting on your hat as a lawyer, what are the kinds of interesting IP questions that that pop up once you decide to move art into this digital domain?
1: Sure, absolutely. very happy to. And before I start, I do want to note that these views represent my own um, and do not constitute legal advice. And that, of course, I advise artists and platforms in the space. And like Nick, I'm a collector, albeit just a baby one compared to him. So with that said, I think at a very basic level, we need to think about what the creator is selling and what the purchaser is buying. Um, And in some cases, I think Nick may say that might just be an autograph, right? Um, take for example, if you're selling a one-to-one of a one-of-one a, a of, one of a song or an album, and we've seen these numbers reach, I mean, six or seven-digit numbers in the past few weeks. I'm not sure people are super clear on what they're buying, and even the basic question of who is the creator, especially in the case of generative art, where a smart contract or even an algorithm is creating the work, um, who owns that, and what rights do you have as the original mentor of the work versus a purchaser of a print of the work? Um, In those cases, it's really important to read the fine print on the platforms on which these art pieces are sold. Now, going back to high level, copyright, I think, is one of the big areas that people do need to pay attention to in this space. Um, Copyright, of course, refers to not one right, but actually a group of rights that are granted as soon as a work of art is fixed. And what that means is when you put pencil to paper, a paintbrush to canvas, or a digital pixel to Photoshop or Octane render in the case of Beeple. And this group of rights is really expansive. It includes the right to distribute, publish, copy, monetize, and create derivative works. So when you sell a piece of, say, an art NFT, generally speaking, you're only granting the right to use it for personal and non-commercial consumption, other than resale, of course. And that means if you buy this piece of art, you can't take the piece and go print it on t-shirts and then sell those t-shirts in the case of music by purchasing a song even a one of one you can't turn around and thereafter sell that song to spotify for example because that sale did not come with the master rights the creator still owns that um, unless specifically granted of course as we've seen in the case of jacques green who actually granted the publishing rights to his song um, as part of the nft sale now that's just one area of copyright there are other areas that are implicated um, for example, trademark law, which covers names, titles, slogans, short phrases, and even people, people and things um, if you rise to that level of fame and recognition. And I know you asked about IP laws, but that's just one category that folks have to worry about is once we get into sort of revenue streams and NFTs start to interact with deFi as we're already seeing today. Almost every acronymed agency has the potential to get pulled into this space.
0: Nick, so so basically, Amy is is kind of detailed the fact that, okay, you know, what you're buying, you know, uh, requires a keen eye. I mean, you're you're a professional, and and, and you're involved, obviously, in NFTs and in crypto and and the like, and and it presents a number of interesting issues, both in terms of the familiarity with cryptocurrencies. I mean, it's it's pretty pretty helpful, and then you have this whole other aspect as to knowing just what you're. You're you're actually buying um, some of these uh, 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 tokens or, or, or NFTs. You, you know they allow you ultimately to own a, a piece of code, really, or at least a string of numbers, and and not the the actual picture. So it's it's, it's like a baseball card, um, more or less, as as Amy was sharing with us. In many instances, if you buy a baseball card of um, or a basketball card of, of LeBron James, it doesn't mean that you can go out all of a sudden and use his likeness or or you know into you know with a commercial or uh, you know a, a laundry mat that you may be starting up or something, right? You know there there are limits as to what you can do with it. You can enjoy it, you can sell it, you can perhaps reproduce the image for purposes of enjoying it and selling it. But that's that's really about about all you can do, and that in some instances the platforms retain the right to even take away the right for you to display the image. And so you could just be left with, I suppose, a, a string of numbers. As a professional, I mean, when you think about investing in this space, I mean, like, what does that mean for you? Um, you know, how do you think about these particular limitations? And and do you think that they may evolve over time, or it's just you know part and parcel of, of of being in the space?
2: Yeah. So the the NFT related investments we've made are basically just platforms that allow people to engage with NFTs. I have a personal portfolio of NFTs, but that's really just for fun, not for investment purposes at all. I'm under no illusions about what these things are. I think there is a huge amount of confusion as to what you're buying. And that's partly I would put that on the hands of the issuers, really, because they've done a I would say a poor job of codifying the rights that accompany the purchase of an NFT, and that's not through malice or anything; it's just because it's very poorly understood um, from the buyer perspective and the issuer perspective. And um, you know, I think you encounter trouble when. You have these platforms allow people to wrap arbitrary content and monetize it by issuing it on any of these NFT platforms. That might be content that they don't actually have the right to monetize, and uh, you know, so that's a challenge. I think it it works best when the issuer is someone that is sort of very proximate to the IP in question. So NBA Top Shots works because nobody doubts that NBA sort of has the ability to. Uh, sell collectibles. I think my mental model here is not presuming that buyers are in some way buying a claim on some IP or anything when they're buying art. But um, as Amy says, you're sort of buying an autographed version, an autographed copy. So it's kind of like buying... you know, If an artist were to say, okay, I'm going to make 50 prints of my most famous piece and I'm going to sign all of them. That's kind of what you're buying. You're not buying... The original piece—you you don't have any rights associated with that. You're just buying a fixed vintage or, you know, a fixed edition with which, with some acknowledgement from the artist.
0: Yeah, and and, and certainly you're—you know, I've I've seen sort of Gronk, for example, getting into the NFT space and and sort of creating his own um, uh, NFTs and and offering certain kinds of goodies. Um, uh, and certainly, there's a real proximity between Gronk. Uh, and 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 selling pictures of of of, of himself, um, uh, a- Amy. You know, given the fact that um, a lot of these things have not been been codified, you know that brings up another sort of batch of of legal issues. Um, everything in terms of sort of the integrity of the market and 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 the knowledge and understanding of of potential purchasers of NFTs, especially where they are in investors. And that inevitably, whenever you're talking about crypto, brings up these security law questions and and you know whether or not um, NFTs um, could involve or or trigger some of the same concerns that we saw um, in, in the ICO market. Um, is this something that's that's crossed your radar? And and if so, you know what kinds of yellow uh, or or red flags have have you seen?
1: Certainly. Um, and security concerns are going to start coming to the forefront, especially as artists and creators start looking at ways to uh, share ownership in their creations with fans in ways that short share revenue streams. Right? As soon as you start talking about sharing revenue, then we start thinking about dividends and start thinking about securities, and that brings us back to the orange groves and the Howey test, of course. And so it's the exact same the analysis, uh, bring us all the way back to the ICO boom. is is it an investment of money in a common enterprise with the expectation of profits from the efforts of others? Now, almost always, it's going to be an investment of money, right? Somebody is giving up value to purchase this NFT. And it's important to remember that value and money not necessarily has to be fiat or crypto. It can even be an email for the purposes of marketing, right? Is the person issuing this receiving some form of benefit? So that generally is yes. Um, Now, next you look at a common enterprise. Are they giving the money to, for example, the creator of this token, right? Whether it be an artist or an agency or a label that's creating this token. And you can look at circuits whether or not there's vertical or horizontal commonality there. And then with the expectation of profit, So, so why, why is this person purchasing this NFT? Um, you can argue that there's utility, right? They want to purchase a fractionalized piece of the song so that they can play the song back. To themselves and enjoy the fruits of the song? Um, or are they really purchasing this with the expectation that this is going to increase in, in, in value? Um, it depends in large part on the marketing campaign of, of the issuer, right? How are they communicating the sale to people? And then lastly, from the efforts of others, are they purchasing this song with the expectation that the issuer or the artist is going to expend efforts to market and therefore increase the value. So let's take, for example, a song. We're going to take a song and fractionalize it into a hundred different um, NFT shares. And at that point, I mean, one could argue, is it even an NFT? Does it become fungible at that point? At what, at what number um, does a N- non-fungible token become fungible and get treated just like basically any other token project out there, right? That's a separate consideration that that would trigger sort of Vincent implications. But for now, let's just say one song, 10 tokens, uh, royalties are going to be shared, right? In the efforts of others prong, you really look at now is that artist going out there, or that artist or label going out there and procuring licensing deals um, and, and, and streaming deals um, and procuring all sorts of partnerships that will generate these revenues that will then be shared with the token holders, and if that answer is yes, then basically you're potentially looking at a security, right? You're giving somebody money, and you're trusting in this one business or person to to undergo efforts to make you money.
0: Yeah, you know that, that that's 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 really interesting. Um, uh, I, I know uh, Nick, you're, you're you're just an investor genius and, and not a lawyer, but but nonetheless, you know, it, it's an interesting question, especially if you have a promoter or or sponsor who's also you know, engaged in any kind of activity that, that presumably is designed to increase the value of the NFT and it's sort of telling people that, 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 that uh, you know, that they're out doing that. Um, do you think it's, this, this could be a, um, uh, an issue of, of concern um, uh, uh, for people operating in the space, whether or not they be purchasers or, or investors? And, and um, uh, do, do you see any similarities with what you saw in the ICO space?
2: yeah it's a great question. I mean, the NFTs I've seen so far don't seem to satisfy the prongs of Howie, although I'm by far the dullest legal mind on this call, from my very uninitiated view, uh, it doesn't look like um, you know they're relying on a third party to basically make the value of that thing increase um, because precisely they're being sold somewhat an empty husk, right There's not much substance within you know your your average nFT you you're buying. An autograph, a signature. Um, there's not a lot there now. If you were buying, you know, rights to certain cash flows relating to some digital content, then yeah, maybe that starts to look a lot like a security. But more generally, I mean, are we seeing the frost that we saw in 2017 with the ICO boom? Unequivocally, yes, 100. Uh, percent Not just in the NFT space, but in the entire crypto market, um, having been through. That phase, you know, I look back on it with dismay because it was kind of a distressing time to see, you know, the level of malinvestment. I would say what we're seeing in the market today is much more dramatic <laughs> in terms of uh, the enthusiasm, not just for NFTs but um, all over the crypto market, really. And um, if I had to venture guess, I would say it's because. We're seeing the stirrings of inflation once again, and if you look historically in these inflationary episodes, it tends to cause or be accompanied by you know lots of speculation and financial assets as people begin to see that their you know their currency is being somewhat debased, and so they pile into all sorts of things. So we're seeing you know way elevated levels of trading and all sorts of asset classes, options on these retail brokerages. Actual physical collectibles, you know, uh, analog NFTs, if you will, (laughs) Um, and so it's a broad-based phenomenon now. And I think NFTs are part of that.
0: You know, you know, that's a really interesting observation. And you know, I guess it gets, uh, in part, back brings us full circle to the question of is the is is this art? You know, um, uh, what is the inherent value to the NFTs, and then what does speculation mean in this particular context? I mean, certainly there's you know, assets of all. Uh, types are are rising in, in in value for for sure, but do you think that this particular episode, um, you know, is going to shape or could impact you know the larger cryptocurrency narrative more than even in other areas, precisely because of you know past volatility and episodes that 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 we've already had. Um, uh, uh, you know, how do you see this? this particular phenomenon working itself out? Not necessarily from an investment perspective, but again, from the perspective of, of how people view and think about crypto.
2: Well, it's certainly the most mainstream-friendly corner of the crypto market. I've, far more of my friends have asked me about NFTs than have ever asked me about crypto generally. Uh, it's, it seems to be something that regular folks that aren't crypto natives innately understand, actually far more so than the notion of cryptocurrency itself or any of the more complex corners of the market like DeFi. So in a sense, it's a validation of the infrastructure that's been built in the crypto space. And for sure, while I expect the valuations to contract in the NFT space as there's a huge amount of dilution, because we'll see tons of issuance, right? Because there's no way to you know, stop artists uh, issuing art, right? So we'll see tons of dilution there. And eventually the high valuations will be arbitraged away right? as we have a supply reaction. Um, But I think the infrastructure has been validated and the concept itself is is pretty valid. And so I do expect it to be an enduring uh, feature of the market and probably one of the more mainstream uh, corners of the market too.
0: Amy, what do you think? Um, uh, you know, what's what's your view of this? Uh, c- uh, clearly, there are plenty of people who look at NFTs and and like other sectors and and, and are seeing uh, a, a bubble. If it bursts, w- what would that mean in your view for for how people, uh, both on the retail and and frankly also in the legal space, you know how how they view uh, NFTs.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question, and I largely agree with everything that Nick just said. I think that for anybody that's been in crypto for longer than, I mean, even a year, um, we're certainly not naive to to the fact that we are in a bubble. Um, and I mean, there are people calling top on a weekly basis, right? Where where when we hit top is is anyone and it's anyone's guess. But we are certainly going to be operating in waves, and there we're going to see a dip, right? Especially as you see more and more creators and artists entering the space and and doing, I mean, things like open editions where there's unlimited um, amounts of NFTs being issued, right? You're just really slapping on a, an NFT label and going back to your original point, Is there dilution? Where's the scarcity bit of it? What part of this actually makes an NFT other than calling it an NFT? So these are basically signs from that to sort of your Uber driver asking you what the next best NFT investment is and whether or not they should get in the top shots. These are all um, sort of signs that, hey, are we in a very, very frothy environment? Yes. That said, I think that NFTs are definitely here to stay right? I view this as similar to, and many people in the industry have said this, it's almost like the ICO boom. Um, We hit a height and then we fell down um, and a bunch of companies and projects did not survive, but the ones that did survive rose to create additional and more innovative projects, the next layer. That's how DeFi really arose, right? And I think we're going to see that. Currently today, as we talked about, we see basically um, real life media and art and music being created on the blockchain. And this is what I like to call almost the recipe printing phase of the internet. It's, it's innovative, but it's not that crazy innovative. And I think that once we go get through this hump, we're going to see some real crazy innovation happen. Um, I mean, whether that's NFTs intersecting with DeFi and all the cool possibilities that can happen there to all sorts of forms and shapes of entities that we have even found them today. So I definitely think that they're here to stay. And I think that once we get over this hump, they will be more mainstream than ever because to Nick's point, financial assets and and um, uh, sort of core finance is really exciting and obviously very important, but it still only attracts a small portion of the the world's sort of attention and eyeballs. But when you start talking about basketball, you start talking about Kim Kardashian, you start talking about sort of Jay-Z, these big people that have humongous fan bases, um, you really bring that, that, that entire, entire power of the entire fan base to the crypto sort of world, right? And so it's going to be really, really exciting to see. After every single wave, we see more people come on board and more legitimate projects uh, sort of rise to the top. And so this is just part of the crypto journey. Amy,
0: Nick, Really interesting conversation. Learned a lot. Thanks so much for joining us on the show.
1: Thank you. Thanks so much for having us, Chris.
0: For law professors, crypto is the gift that keeps giving when it comes to cutting edge legal quandaries and NFTs are certainly case in point. If anything, they raise many of the same transactional questions that we've seen in Bitcoin and ICOs and add on top a range of novel intellectual property rights issues that, like securities law quandaries, reflect new and unanticipated applications of the technology. Now, with all that in mind, I think it will be extremely interesting to see just how crypto evolves with yet another mind-bending, but clearly frothy, nook in the ecosystem. To be honest, if experts are right, it's hard to see a speculative bubble as ultimately burnishing the reputation of the sector especially if unwitting investors or NFT purchasers see their savings wiped out. So from this vantage point, I think Nick and Amy are right. And I'll be curious to see if and how quickly norms evolve in this space. And just as important, how the broader public and policy makers adjust their perceptions of crypto's promise and perils. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to get in touch, just hit me up at Chris Brummer, D-R. That's at C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-M-M-E-R-D-R. We'd love to hear from you.